charge the gates of hell with a water pistol right now after I hear that song or hear that intro music because we're in this series called Unstoppable, right? And we talked last week about an unstoppable message, the gospel, an unstoppable organization, the church, and an unstoppable movement, which is the mission of God. So we're in part two of that this week. Before we get to that, but this this ties into our unstoppable movement, was, this week is First Wednesday, which is like one of our most important services, simply because we gather together to pray for one another and pray that God would use us for the, for the weeks, the months ahead, and we, we end that in celebrating the Lord's Supper through communion. And let me just make this point. Um, look, if you need a, a special kind of prayer, prayer for deliverance, prayer for healing, you want to stand in the gap for someone you know that, that needs one of those things, that, we have a special time that our elders lead uh, in accordance with James chapter 5, where we just have that kind of prayer for one another. So that is at all six of our locations. I welcome all six of our locations, but that, that occurs on Wednesday night at all six of our locations. So as we move into Unstoppable Part 2, what I want to talk to us today Today uh, is is related to something that I learned when I was in the military. The military has this thing, and all the different services call it something different, but it's essentially what was known as the commander's intent or the commander's intention. And it's whoever the commander is of, of the day or the unit or the operation. They ha- they give a definition and description. It's real short. And it's what a successful mission would look like. Hey, don't let this happen. Make sure you've occupied that hill. Make sure they don't get past that line. I mean, it's real simple, and it's real clear, and it's, really, and it's trying to eliminate confusion. And the reason our military doesn't do this or does this is because it anticipates the chaos and demands of, of battle. It anticipates kind of what the enemy might do, and it just gives the, the units focus and clarity. What's interesting is the Soviet Union, their military back during the Cold War, they didn't operate this way. And a lot of people said this is why the U.S. would have won a war, because they would have been bound by manuals where we had a bottom line that we aimed at, just gave focus. So the intention is, hey, when when things are going on in, in life and in the battle, this is what you have to do. This is the one thing. This is the objective. So what we're going to talk about today in Unstoppable Part 2 is we have a commander. We call him a king, and that's one of the titles and the roles that Jesus Christ has, is what is our king's intention? When, if, he, if he were saying to us as Rockbridge Community Church, if he were saying to Christians, he's like, look, he, he, there's going to be a battle, there's going to be an enemy, but this is what we need to do. The end of the day, the end of the operation, this is what has to be done. This is my king's intention. And when we, when we find this out, it's going to give us the focus and clarity we need as a people of God, we need as a church to have. It's going to give us this simplicity. It's going to just kind of give us just great clarity about what we're supposed to be doing. Now, it also answers a question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but how did Christianity go from about 120 people which is way less than we have in this venue right now. How did it go from 120 people confined to the city of Jerusalem to billions of followers, to billions of adherents, all, pretty much it's now a global movement. And, and the reason it did that is because Jesus was very clear on his intent. And he told his followers at, at the end of every day, no matter what the enemy does, this is what you need to do. 
Now, there's several single verses that I could give that articulate our king's intent, but I thought, why don't we just see it in operation? Why don't we see it where, where, where a group of followers do this in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the chaos, and in the middle of the, the, the tactics and the schemes of the enemy? So to do that, we're going to look in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, and see a passage of Scripture. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. In Acts chapter 3, Two of Jesus' apostles, their names are Peter and John, they've healed a lame guy, a crippled person, and this has caused a lot of attention, a lot of excitement, and then Peter gets to preach a message or share a message about Jesus, and there's some people that don't like that he's sharing this message, and so chapter 4 is kind of the wash of everything that happened in chapter 3. Here's what it says, while they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees, religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, confronted them. Because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So here's significantly. They were not upset that a guy got healed. Very few people get upset when someone gets healed. Very few people get upset when we feed hungry kids or do, th- or do good deeds or good works or anything like that. They got upset because they were talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what they were upset about. That's what they were concerned about. That's what has had them agitated, and that's why they arrested them. So they seized them, took them into custody until the next day, until it was already evening. But many of those in the vicinity in the city of Jerusalem had heard the message and believed. That it didn't, wasn't that just that they saw a crippled guy suddenly walk and flourish? They heard this message about Jesus, and the number of men, Luke tells us, came to be about 5,000 people. Now, in just those four verses, we start to see how Christianity got out of Jerusalem and how we have heard the message of Christianity and how it went from regional and and just seen as maybe a little subset of Judaism to this massive global thing that we know as the Christian faith today. So we see that Christianity is a movement with a message, that what causes movement and what grows the population of Christ followers is this message about Jesus, which was what we talked about last week, that we're invited by this message into a forever family, into the movement of God. We're adopted by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're included in, in the church that he founded, and the church is unstoppable, and we're involved in God's mission. And so that's what we talked about last week. So we see this movement with a message, and then we have to ask the question, why does Luke start to, why is Luke so interested in the book of Acts and telling us the numbers? It's 120 people in Acts chapter 1. It's a little over 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. It's 5,000 if you add women and children. We're probably, the one church is 10,000 plus people. Why is he interested in telling us that? I, I think there's two things. I think he's showing us everyone matters to God. So we count them. Everybody matters. And he's showing us about this message of Jesus, that this message is for everyone. In fact, we said this last week, and it's it's worth repeating. You've never locked eyes with someone, including the person you look at in the mirror every morning. You've never locked eyes with someone that does not have these, these three problems. And these three problems are answered, solved forever in the message. Everybody you've ever looked at has a worth problem. Do I matter? Do I count? Who am I? You've all felt rejection. You've all wondered, hey, what what am I going to do with the rest of my life? All of those things. Everybody's got a a worth value. Who am I problem? Everybody's got a hope problem. 
because all of us are looking for something to put our hope in that won't let us down. We put our hope in our college football team and they let us down, right? We put our hope in money and then the stock market changes, the job market changes. We put our hope in a girl and then she leaves. We put our hope, I mean, all of us are looking for something secure, something that lasts longer than a good time on a Friday night to put our hope in. We've all got a purpose problem. Who's not at, why am I here? Why am I here? All of those questions get answered forever in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I matter? Who am I? Yeah, you're someone Jesus Christ died for. Actually, he died in your place. Well, you know, what's my hope? You have a hope that cancer, that death, that no other human being can take away. A hurricane can't take this away. A tornado can't take this away. Your parents can't take this away. It's the hope of Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life. Why am I here? You're here to be involved in his mission. So this message is for everyone and everyone matters. That's what we see happening, working itself out in in Acts chapter 4. So the story continues, though, because they're upset now about this movement and this growth of the church. So the next day, Acts chapter 4, verse 5, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. Here's the question. By what power or in what name have you done this? And that means who have you healed? How have you healed this guy? And so they're mad about preaching and teaching this message about Jesus. So they ask a question, and then Peter's going to take the opportunity to preach and teach about Jesus. So he says, as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man and by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy." And then he goes on, and he talks about the gospel now, and he talks about this message, and he says, this Jesus, Peter says, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone, that everything in life and forever and the future, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the linchpin. It all hangs on this Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. So so you are not going to find a satisfactory forever answer for your hope problem, your your worth problem, and and your value problem. You're not going to find an answer. Your sin, sorrow, and death problem, there is no one else. Now, you may find a temporary answer that works for a season, but not one that works forever. So there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we, Peter says, I have to be saved by it. John has to be saved by it. The Pope has to be saved by it. Everybody, rich and poor, black and white, Hispanic, whether you're in the Bible Belt or you're in the East or you're the West, you're Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, Democrats and Republicans, everybody's got to be saved by that name Jesus. He is the only answer to those three problems. Who am I? Where do I hang my hope? Why am I here? He is the answer. Now, in this, you see illustrated the commander's intent. 
You see the one thing Jesus has said all of his followers have to do, no matter what the enemy does, no matter if they arrest you, question you, threaten you, this is what you have to do. And the beauty of Jesus' strategy is the one thing we all can do. All Christ followers can do this one thing. Everybody. It's not dependent upon me, the pastor. It's not dependent upon having a building with four walls in it. It's not dependent on on a video screen. It's not dependent on anything but our willingness to obey the commander's intention or the king's intent. So what is the one thing? What is the one thing the church has to do? What is the one thing the church has to do and has done faithfully for 2,000 years? The one thing is this. We must absolutely speak the message of Christ. That is the one thing. If you boiled all this down and said, hey, if we're going to be faithful to Jesus... What do we have to do? We have to speak the message of Christ. We have to talk about a crucified Jesus, a resurrected Jesus, as the solution to our sin, sorrow, and death issues, as the answer for our who am I, why am I here, what is my hope that won't let me down and disappoint me problems. We have to speak the message of Jesus Christ. That is the one thing. That is how the message got out of Jerusalem. That's how it got here. In fact, if we had time and I said, who, who, everybody that is born again, everybody that has a personal saving and eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Come tell me how that happened. And we all walked up here. Here, here, The the common denominator would be, well, somebody told me about Jesus. My my grandmother, my mom, my dad, a guy at work, a guy at the gym. I was out camping with my buddies around the campfire, and we just started, started talking and talking. And then one of them just shared the message about Jesus. And I put, everybody would have that common denominator. I went to a church service, I heard a sermon, and I heard about Jesus. And somebody spoke the message of Jesus Christ to me. So see how Paul describes it. Paul describes it this way. He says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look, anyone, because this message is for everyone. There's nobody that doesn't have a hope problem, an identity problem, and a purpose problem. Nobody. There's no one that you look at that does not have a sin, sorrow, and death problem. So anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, have those answers resolved, and have forever to look forward to. But how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? Got to put your faith in him. And, And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them that Jesus is the best and Jesus is the only He's the only satisfactory solution to these problems. He's the only way to get to heaven. He's the only way to have eternal life. He's the only way to escape the punishment that we all deserve called hell. But he's also the very best. He satisfies your soul. He gives you living water. He's the bread of life. He, he satisfies, he's your treasure. He's your portion. He's your prize. He's, your, he's the best. Because, see, we've all had things that gave us hope for a season. We've, we've all defined ourselves by someone other than God. You know, I, I am what I do. Hey, how well did you play last night? How'd work go today? And, and if it went good, you're good. If it went bad, you're bad. We've all defined ourselves by what people think about us. Hey, they're dogging me at work. I don't know. I'm, not, I'm worthless. We've all, had, we've all put our identity in something, our hope in something, and it disappointed us or it let us down or, or it, went, it ran out of gas. When I say Jesus is the best, he never runs out of gas. Imagine if you woke up to tomorrow, just, just imagine, and you, and you woke up and this is what you thought. 
the most important thing about me is God loves me, and I'm his son or I'm his daughter. See, now you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and think, man, what did I miss on Facebook? Or what's the coach going to say? What's the teacher going to say? How did I do on that test? Are we going to close the deal or are we not going to close the deal? And your stress is going to come from the weakness of your hope source, the weakness of who you think you are. But if you woke up every day, and the most important thing about you was Jesus hung in your place, died in your place, and rose again to give you life in his forever place, you got pretty good hope. you got a pretty good reason to be alive. You know who you are. You know why you're here. That's the difference when Jesus is our hope, Jesus is our identity, and Jesus is our purpose. And speaking to other people about Jesus is the one thing that could change everything for someone. The one thing that could change everything for someone. Think about that. What's the one thing that could change everything for someone? That they would hear the message of Jesus and maybe call upon Jesus because they believe upon Jesus, that he is the best and the only. That's the one thing that could change everything for someone. Listen, 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 Rockbridge. I want to be serious, right? We've been in existence about 17 years. 17 years, okay? If we, we, why did God start Rockbridge? Did he start Rockbridge because we need another church, we need another place for people to hang out at 11 o'clock? No. There's a message about Jesus that we have to be faithful about. That's our commander's intent. That's the one thing Jesus wants done, and it's the one thing that could change everything for someone. So if we ever get to be a church and we just want to be the five, the, you know, the, whatever our number is, we just want to stop at that number. Hey, we're, we're big enough. We, enough people have heard about Jesus. Hey, we just want it to worship like we want it. We want ministry like we want it. And we just want to feel good about ourselves and leave on Sunday and go to lunch and then come back and rep- rinse and repeat it the next week. And we're not interested in speaking the name of Jesus locally and globally. We ought to shut down because that's not what our king wants. Our king has said, hey, look, no matter what the enemy does, no matter how chaotic it gets, you have got to speak to me about other people in need of me. This is a problem for the enemy who doesn't want the kingdom to advance. And we meet that in the story. So they observe the boldness of Peter and John, and they realize they were uneducated and untrained men. Let's translate that. They hadn't been to seminary. They, they, didn't, some, they, they may not even been able to read or write too well. They came from the rural part of Israel. They spoke with an accent. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, they're untrained, uneducated. Who are these people? But they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. If you've been with the best and the only, you're qualified to speak about the best and the only. And since they saw that this man had been healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything in opposition to that. So after they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they're going to have a little huddle and say, what do we do? They conferred among themselves and say, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so, and here it is, here it is, look, but so that it does not spread, so that it doesn't get out of Jerusalem, so it doesn't get into the countryside, so it doesn't go global, so that it does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's like, shh, you can, you can get together and sing your little songs with just your group. 
You can take your supper, your little Lord's Supper with just your group. You can heal people. You can do good to people. But shh, just don't talk about Jesus. Shh. And now, now how, did you, how did it get here? How did you and I become Christ followers? Well, it spread. So it means some people didn't, didn't listen to this. Some people said, no, we got to speak because that's what our king told us to do no matter what. No matter what they throw at you. And, and we got to all ask a question this morning. Okay, what keeps us not speaking the name of Christ in our jobs, with our families, with our friends? What keeps us not? Where do we draw the line? See, now look, because what you're going to see as you read through the book of Acts, they were threatened. In Acts chapter 5, they're flogged. Flogged means for, they got 39 lashes. Two on the back, flipped them over, one on the chest. Flipped them over, two on the back, flipped them over, one on the chest. 39 times. And they kept speaking. Acts chapter 6, the first guy dies for being a Christian and for speaking. And while he's dying, you know what he's doing? Speaking. Andrew. Andrew. He's one of the disciples. He's crucified, not like this. He's crucified like this. It's called Andrew's cross today. Took him three days to die. Three days to die. You know what he did? As people walked by, he spoke. You know what he spoke about? Jesus. Why did he do that? Because that's the one thing the king said you got to keep doing no matter what. And so Peter and John, with that level of clarity in the chaos and in the battle and with the enemy right there, Peter and John answered them and said, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And that's why you and I are here today listening about Jesus Christ. Who will be here tomorrow because Rockbridge kept speaking about Jesus Christ? Not just Rockbridge here, but as Rockbridge goes out these doors out there. See, the aim of the enemy is simply this. Shh. Silencing. Silencing. So I want to look at real briefly with you some things that keep us quiet about the one thing Jesus said we had to do, which was speak in his name, and the message of Jesus crucified, raised, and buried for anyone who would call upon him. The first thing that I think keeps us quiet is we go to Acts 4.12 where it says you must be saved by Jesus alone, and we change that must and make it a may, meaning we're like, well, all religions are the same, or, no, 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 no God's not going to send anybody to a bad place. Um, no, no, there's no, no, no. We have to understand Jesus said there's only one way. Now, he said the message is for anyone, so everyone gets in the same way. So Christianity is inclusive, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, but it's exclusive about the method. There's only one method, Jesus. And, and so we need to understand that and have the conviction that we can't change that because Jesus doesn't allow it. And imagine this. Imagine... Imagine we were all, uh, you know, let's imagine this. No, this is not imaginary. You, you, you relate to this. Every single person here today has been affected positively, or excuse me, negatively by cancer. You know someone or you've been that someone who's heard that word. So imagine, imagine our, our governments and f- find this plant or something growing in the Amazon. And they start doing something in the laboratory and r- suddenly, man, we have found the vaccine for cancer. And all you've got to do is at your hospital, you go by alphabet or whatever, just go to your local hospital. They're going to give you the vaccination. Now, there's only one vaccination, but, but you got to go. 
Now, if we're standing in line for that vaccination, are we mad that there's only one way or are we thankful that there is a way? I'm thankful because let me tell you something. Life with Jesus is more important than life without cancer. Life with Jesus is more important than life with cancer, without cancer. And, and we have to understand the problem Jesus solved, the hope Jesus gives, is bigger and greater than the problem of cancer. And so are we amazed that our God has made a way? Now, if, as soon as we make this, water this down and, and say, well, it, 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 that sounds too exclusive. If we make it not exclusive, it quits being inclusive. Because if I say, well, Jesus is one way instead of the way, then, well, who do I need to tell about Jesus? And he's the best and the only, according to him. Then we don't have to tell anybody. And, and honestly, that's how a lot of churches in America have started living. If it's unpopular message, shh. Yeah, it's unpopular. Uh, looking at a bloody Savior and realize I did that to him, that's not going to make me feel good. But then he stayed on there for me. And then he says, Matt, I want to call you son. I don't want to call you sinner. Matt, I want to call you uh, part of my family. I don't want to call you, you know, out of my family. Matt, I don't want to call you a rebel and a traitor. I want to call you a co-laborer. That's love, true love. So if it stops being exclusive, it stops being inclusive. So we can't change that must into a may. Second reason, the second thing that silences is we believe the lie that God cannot use me. We believe the lie God cannot use me. Now, he can use, he can use the preacher, right? I mean, he can, and, and maybe that's who we're supposed to use. And, and, and we just, so why do we believe that God cannot use us? A couple of reasons. One is there, there's this version of Christianity that's so prevalent in America is celebrity Christianity, which is false. Celebrity Christianity wants to take someone who sings really well or preaches in front of the church and, and just sort of say, wow, I can't do what they can do. Or, man, they're awesome. Listen, listen, listen. I need every drop of Jesus' blood to save my soul. And, and, and I do my part, and we're all supposed to do our part. And, and this notion of celebrity Christianity, that, man, man, it's just superstars that move. the That's just false. That's a lie from Satan. It's just not true. Another thing that makes us believe God can't use us is our past sins and our present sins. We look at our past and like, God can't use someone like me. And we look at our present like, God can't use someone like me. What if they call me a hypocrite? Or what if they sort of say that kind of stuff? And, and, and we start letting our past and present sins condemn us. Let me tell you something. The condemnation of sin is dealt with forever in the crucifixion of Jesus. And you think your sinfulness disqualifies you from talking about Jesus? That's what qualifies you. How did Jesus solve your hope problem? How did Jesus solve your sin, sorrow, and death problem? How did Jesus solve your why am I here problem? How did Jesus solve your who am I problem? All of that stuff. Hey, I used to find my identity in girls, money, and my job. And I ran out and I was depressed and lonely. And then all of a sudden somebody told me about a God who loved me enough to die in my place and wants to call me his son. I said, that's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm on his team. I can tell that to anybody and twice on Sunday. 
What we think disqualifies us, qualifies us to talk about Jesus. Peter said this. He said, we, me included, must be saved by this Jesus. Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread of life. Powerful, right? It's the king's intent. And then, and then sometimes we think God can't use us because it's fueled by some type of fear. What if they and what to say? I'm going to talk about what to say in just a minute. But what if they? Well, what, well, Matt, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Matt, what if they ask me about the dinosaurs? I still hadn't figured that one out. And what if they ask me about that? Dinosaurs or no dinosaurs aren't, have nothing to do with Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and raised. Nothing. So, so imagine this. Imagine, think of it this way. Imagine if I go eat and I have the greatest steak I've ever put in my life. I'm talking it's life-changing, baby, right? Like, woo, it is Ric Flair good, right? I mean, imagine I have that kind of steak, okay? And, and so I, and, and I'm going to go tell five people that, man, I've just had the best who love steak. I'm going to tell about five people about the greatest steak I've ever put in my mouth. What if, they, you know, but what, what if they say, well, who's the chef? How'd they make it? Where'd they get their beef? What goes on in the kitchen? I don't know. I just know the steak is good, baby. All I know is Jesus is the best and the only, and he has solved my hope, my sin, my sorrow, my death, my value, my purpose, problems. I'm with him, baby. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to know to speak about Jesus. Now, let's talk about this one. Because remember, our king, our commander's intent was we got to speak. We got to say something. So let's, let's address that one, church. So I want to go back and I want to introduce a phrase that we used to say a lot. And I've been bad about, you know, flaming the, the fire on this value. But we used to say this a lot, build and bring. So on the count of three, when all our campuses, all six of us say build and bring together. One, two, three. Build and bring. All right, here's what build and bring means. I am going to build a relationships with someone in order to bring them to hear and be able to speak to them about Jesus Christ. I'm going to build a relationship, trust, love, honor, civility, humility, respect, so I can bring them to hear and to be able to speak to them about Christ and then to connect them into the body of Christ, the church, okay? Sometimes we forget about that. We're like mailmen. We deliver a message. Well, I invited them 22 years ago. Have you invited them again? No. Well, I told them of my story. Have you checked up? No. We also want to connect them to, to the church, right, to the body of Christ, to community, to the mission. Get them involved, right? So build and bring so I can speak to them about Christ and help them get connected. It, 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 we could break it down like this. I'm going to go with gospel love. All right, now world, worldly love, world, world, the world's love is the love like that works this way. If it feels good to you, do it. If it works for you, do it, okay? So you go out and play in front of the street. If that's what makes you happy, I'm not going to stop you. That's how the world wants to love people today. That's not love. Okay, gospel love loves you too much not to let you hear about Jesus who died in your place. Gospel love does loves you so much we want to tell you about the perfect love of God, the justice of God, and how and how that, how Jesus has solved our hope, sorrow, sin, death, worth, purpose problems. And we're going to show and share the word of Christ. Sometimes you got to show it before you can share it. Feeding hungry people, helping people out, being a blessing. So you show and share the word of Christ. And then we're committing to their kingdom potential. Their kingdom potential is how God wants to use them and love them inside his kingdom. Okay? So again, go, show, share, and commit. All right, now, 
what to say. Let's, let's start here. How do we get there? How do we get there? All right, first, let's strengthen our 412 conviction. Our 412 conviction is Jesus is the best and he's the only. If you think and do not believe in, in the conviction, the truth of, of Acts 412, then you don't have to say anything. And, and then Satan's winning because he's, he's silenced you. We have to talk to people about the realities of the wrath of God, the justice of God, that there is a hell for people who don't want you know, anything to do with God. He has to punish sin. He either punishes it in hell or he punishes it on the cross when his son being our substitute. That's it. So we have to have that conviction, okay? We can't be like a lot of churches in our country who are watering down the message, who are changing truth, who are saying, well, Jesus didn't really mean it when he said it, or Paul didn't really mean it when he said it. No, that is absolutely satanic. If you send your kids to another church, you better be sure you know what their convictions are. Because in the Bible, Belt, oh, they're in church. What's that church teaching? What's that church's convictions? We, Rockbridge, have to stand on a conviction that the Word of God is the Word of God. The words of Jesus are the words of Jesus. And I do not have the authority to change them. So we have a conviction. And then we're going to pray. We say, God, would you show me, give me, and let me speak to one? Show me, give me, let me speak to one. Some of you already know. It's that person in third period. It's this dude I work with. It's it's my neighbors, it's a family member, and I'm going to see them at Thanksgiving. So we're praying. God, give me, show me, let me speak to one. And then the next thing we have to do is we have to just become good listeners. We have to listen to people and listen for what's going on in their lives and how we can speak to them about the God who loves them and the God who's for them. So I want to help you with this. I heard this from another church, another sermon, but here's some things to listen Listen for three knots. Three knots. Here they are. Not in church, not going well, not sure about, or not prepared for. Okay? So you're in a conversation with someone, and they're like, hey, you know, hey, I, 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 we're just not in church right now. Boom. Radar. Alert. Bing, bing, bing. Going off inside us. Okay? Hey, you know, I used to go to church, but my wife and I got divorced. I showed up the next week, and man, I just was condemned and felt ostracized, so I'm not in church. Hey, I'm not in church, you know, I've got tattoos, and I forgot one day and wore a short sleeve shirt, and man, they never look, I'd never seen the state. That happens, right? People do that all the time in the Bible Belt. It's crazy. So I'm not in church. Well, um, work's not going well. Marriage is not going well. Wife's health is not going well. Whatever. Hey, I I just became a dad, and I'm not sure about what to do. Hey, I just got married, and I didn't need instructions for what to do on the honeymoon, but I need instructions on what to do now. I'm not sure about. Those are our alarms. Those are our alert flags. And then when you hear one of the three knots, then you want to try to share or do one of the three fours. You want to say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Or here's how I might be for you. Hey, I, I know your wife has that procedure coming up. Hey, how about I, 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 we, my small group, or how about we bring you a meal? How, you know what? Hey, you know what? I know you got all that going on. Hey, I, I'll pick your kids up from school. I'll get them to the next practice. You go do that. I'll be for you in that way. And, or the church, how the church is for them. 
Hey, you know, you were mentioning you have some issues about that. Hey, you know, we had a sermon series a couple weeks ago. You might, I'll just send you the link, and, and, you know, and I'll even tell you, hey, start listening about minute 18, you know, because everything you said before then, I don't remember, but 18 to 25 was good. I'm okay if you do that. It won't offend me, all right? Show how the church is for them. Show how the church is for them. So we're going to say the three fours, pray for, be for, church for. Now, you do the three fours to get to the big four. The big four is this, for God so loved the world. So we're not going to stop, pray for, be for, church is for. We want to go to the big four, for God so loved the world. And then we're prepared at that moment with our personal Jesus is the best statement and story. Now, I am learning and growing in this too, and I don't have my act together the way I wish I did in this area, okay? So I'm going to share with you an actual thing that happened in my life just a couple of weeks ago where I missed the big opportunity. I was not, I mean, I, it wasn't even I went down swinging, as they say in baseball. I went down looking. I mean, was that, was that gross? So I want, I want to help, help you with this, all right? So a lot of times, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional Christian, so I spend a lot of my time around Christians, okay? But with my kids and their sports and school and stuff, I mean, I get to be around non-Christians or I get to be around people who don't have a church or something like that. So, I, you know, that's, where, that's kind of my mission field, okay? So out there, we're getting ready for a football game, talking with this, with this uh, person, and, uh, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, this, that, and the other. And, and all of a sudden, I, I heard it. All of a sudden, I heard it. <clears throat> it was, hey, uh, not going well with so-and-so and school. Not going well. I mean, I almost said it verbatim, Okay. And uh, you know what I did? Nothing. I was like, well, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. You think we're going to win the game? I mean, come on. I, mean, I just whiffed. It was, I mean, it was like, a, it was like a, you know, just a softball pitch, and I was just, whoo, strike one. I mean, it was just so bad, okay? I want you to learn from my mistakes, okay? I, I, I did an autopsy, and I was like, I got to help, help our people not, 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 not make my mistake, okay? And here, here's the autopsy. Here's what I came up with, okay? First thing is um, what I would call inconsistent praying. I've invited this person to church numerous times, and, uh, and he's on a prayer list of mine. But I look back, it's like, man, I just haven't been praying consistently. God, let me, use me, give me, show me. One, I haven't been praying inconsistent. The second one was unintentional positioning. Now, everybody's in a position. Everybody here that's a Rock Bridger or a Christian, you're in position. You've you're you got a second period. You've got a team. You've got a job. You've got a neighborhood. You always go to that place to get gas at that time of day. You're a regular at Starbucks every morning at 742, and those baristas hadn't changed. You know, all, whatever, right? Everybody's in position. But very few of us position ourselves intentionally to do what our king said must be done, which is speak. And so I, I, my, my positioning that day was, man, are we going to win this game or not? Nothing wrong with wanting to win games. But the best thing and the most important thing I have to do is position myself to do what my king asked me to do, which is speak about him. And then I, I forgot the fours. I could have easily transitioned to, hey, uh, let me pray for you on that. Or how can I be for you? How can I give you help? How can I give you assistance? Okay, it was a not going well in school. I'm on a school board for crying out loud. I mean, that was teed up for me. Or I could have said, hey, here's how our church is for families. So maybe you can learn from that. Because here's what I know. Everybody's in position. So who's your one? And who are you going to be for? 
so that God would give you an opportunity to speak how He is for them. For God so loved them, so loved your one. For God so loved them that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, maybe you're one, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray together. God, I first just want to start and say thank you on, on behalf of every Christian here today whose identity is in you, whose hope is in you, and whose purpose is from you. For every Christian here today who, who does not have to worry about the condemnation of sin, who does not have to worry, God, about suffering or death because we are in you, Christ, in your kingdom and part of your forever family. Thank you for that. But God, will you want us to be involved in your mission and you said there's one thing we could all do that could change everything for someone, and that is to speak about you. So, Lord, may you use us where you've positioned us. God, may you overcome any resistance or, or tactic of the enemy that would, strike, that would seek to silence us. And may we just faithfully, as you give open doors and opportunity, build and bring, build and bring, and speak the message of Jesus. God, if there's anybody here today that today is their day, to surrender, to give you the steering wheel of their lives, for you to be their sin bearer, for you to be their leader, for you to be their life, for you to be their king. I pray in their soul of souls, their heart of hearts, they would say right now, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Everything you've done for me, I say yes to you. God, may there be salvation in this place. And God, may as we leave this place and go out these doors, may we not be silent, but may we speak the name above all names. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.